You're listening to Mod Pod, brought to you in association with the River Alehouse Greenwich, South East London Pub of the Year 2022. Hello, my name's Gavin Billiness, and welcome to Mod Pod. Uh, with me are Mr. Will Dalton. Hello, Gav. And uh, Mr. Stephen Charnock. And we've got a special guest this week uh, in Vince Raisin. How are you doing, Vince? Good, thank you, Gav. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. We've all just uh, uh, hot-footed it from the cast webinar uh, where we've been talking about the bleak state of our club or, or listening in on it, as it were. Uh, Steve, what, what were your takeaways from the uh, from the meeting? Um, yeah, there was a couple of things. Um, I think one of the ones that stood out was they talked, just before we left, they talked about um, Raylene's... Uh, Raylene? Raylene, is that a Raylene, Dolly Parton Raylene, song, isn't it? Raylene, Raylene, yeah. uh, about her influence, they were asking about kind of her influence and how much uh, how much is her and it kind of instead of Thomas really. And they were saying basically she runs his Twitter feed and replies on his behalf in internal emails. It's her we've got to thank for the booms, apparently. For the, but yes, that was what they said. Yeah. She puts the boom boom into our heart. And um, it was good because they had Ollie on there and he was. Um, almost like his solicitor was off camera, but he was obviously uh, not able to talk quite as freely as he might have done. So um, he was sort of couching his language slightly, but he was saying that uh, she was very, she's very influential in the day-to-day running. So it almost seems like he's taken, a, Thomas has taken a, a step back and put her at the front. Yeah. So and, recently, and... That was one of the bits, anyway. Um, but the fans advisors on the Led Lucy, didn't they? And she said about... Um, the search for a new manager will take weeks, not days. Yeah, I thought she spoke quite well, Lucy, actually. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, they've got a difficult job, haven't they? Oh, it's a thankless yeah. task. It's a, it's a massive poison chalice, that fans advisor role, because you, <laughs> you, you've got it from both sides, haven't you? You've got to toe the, the club line, really. And at the same time, you're getting it from fans saying, why isn't this happening? Yeah. What's going on here? And they can only do, you know, their hands are tied, really. Uh, the, the other thing I really took away from it, they were speaking to uh, Rick Everett and he was um, he had a bit of sort of inside information where he was um, where he said about what kind of uh, Thomas was thinking about recently in terms of selling and that he had uh, some Americans he was looking to sell to. But um, that deal didn't look like it went anywhere because he wanted to keep 20 percent. So sell 80 percent, keep 20 percent and keep the ability to make decisions. Apparently that fell to the bits words, a little bit. The words cake and eat it spring to mind. He were, yeah. So that didn't go anywhere, apparently. Um, really, that was kind of that was kind of what we said that was massively interesting. We only picked up the first hour, though, so I don't know what else has been talked about since. But Yeah, but I thought it was good to see a, a united front um, with some of the names you mentioned. Ollie Groom was a good one to see, as you say. Lauren Creamer and the, the fans representative as well. Um, I just think quite, quite swift action, really, to have all those people there kind of speaking kind of um, quite coherently about it, considering the only kind of real unrest and sort of element of crisis has been kind of probably the last couple of weeks or so. I think disgruntlement's probably been in the air, what, for a a couple of months, maybe a bit more. But we're kind of well-oiled machine now in terms of uniting, kind of working out the next steps. And and yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think there's a lot of clubs who would be envious of our organisation and unity in these moments. So I'm, I'm confident kind of regardless of of what happens with the the current kind of takeover rumors and potential bids that hopefully won't be too long away and and we'll be ready to kind of like move things along and and hopefully kind of steer the ship as as we've done before 
Yeah, I mean, I it that's does. Because, uh, you know, on paper, fans are uh, quite impotent, but in actual fact, at Charlton, that's not been the case, has it? They've, they've uh, been quick to, to uh, take action. And uh, even if Sangard isn't listening at the moment, which, is, which definitely sounded like it was the case, um, he'd be he'd be unwise to to uh, ignore them for long because they are they are going to keep on going and they are going to make themselves heard. Absolutely, that I mean, the cast is for me. Uh, it does give me a shred of hope and comfort that you know we've got a team of really good Charlton people with a sort of a wide range of expertise and and like you say, Will, they're 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 ready to go and 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 um, even though it is bleak. It does give you hope that, you know, we've got quite a big group. You know, there's, there's some quite impressive numbers now. I think almost 3,000 members now have cast. Yeah. And, you know, if, and if anyone can get something done or, or, or get changes made, I, I think it's that group. And that's it. And didn't about 500 people log in straight then, like on a, on a Monday night, which, which is quite impressive. And although it has that kind of, you know, a webinar on a Monday night with kind of fellow disgruntled Charlton fans kind of rambling about the problems, it's, there's a certain nerdy element to it. My wife Lily just walked in and goes, are you in a meeting? Are you still working? And I'm like, no, but I spent my free time logging to more Zoom calls to talk yeah. about yeah, the, the, the plight of my desperate football club. Um, but that kind of sense of organisation mixed with the uh, the kind of on the ground sort of movements we've had as well, which I think equally is important, a bit more kind yeah. of and tumble from the geezer element, I think is equally as important. I think it's that which comes together with a more kind of formalised organisation, which makes us a bit of a force to be reckoned with. It was the same in the Valley Party days, people on the ground and the kind of the creative leadership figures from the ad campaigns and the kind of political organisation. And then it happens during... It happens now and it happened during the ESI kind of protest days, the storming of the boardroom, certain people putting pressure on um, those characters up in Manchester or the outskirts of Manchester. Meanwhile, the community trust or the sorry, the support trust is doing its great work as well as kind of other um, protest groups. And I think there's yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And we should be we should be proud of that kind of regardless of of how this plays out in the next few weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I think they had um, they spoke at one point to that Ben Ransom, the Sky Sky guy who supports Charlton, and he was saying, presumably, it sounds like he live he works up north, but he was uh, kind of mentioned other clubs in similar sort of circumstances or what have you. And you don't you don't know if you don't support these clubs what happens, but it doesn't sound like what you pick up from the media. Clubs like Coventry or Macclesfield or Bury really have that kind of like cast style thing where they can mobilise quickly and get everybody coming up to stuff, coming up with things. I don't know whether they really have that in, in strength. No. Well, I'm glad we got something because, you know, everything else <laughs> was a, about as cheerful as a Leonard Cohen album. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no manager, no manager for the next few weeks, close to drop zone, that's my biggest fear. I, I, we're far. I mean, I've bent Will and Steve's ear over the last couple of seasons about my fears of going down, and they always tell me to stop being so stupid. But go down. But it did. That did but, amplify the stupidity of the Garner sacking. That um, what it came out on the call. That um, yeah, it was, it was a matter of weeks, not days, in terms of sorting out the appointment. And I wasn't a huge Garner fan, even though I thought he needed more time. Um, there were definitely stupid elements of that sacking, but 
as above all is this, the timing of it. The fact that we ended up so ill prepared for that kind of replay at Stockport. Poor Anthony Hayes is just thrown in, and he by all means seems he seems a really good guy, a really talented coach. Um, but kind of when Ghana taking training on the Monday, then being sacked, and then Hayes come in sort of Monday evening, Tuesday morning, heading straight up to Stockport. He's never done anything like this in his life. Like he was speaking in the summer about even his promotion to the first team kind of coaching setup was like um, a step he really didn't expect to that stage of his career. And it all happened very quickly. So suddenly being the manager of this side, caretaker otherwise, is insane. And so you worry about us. I wasn't surprised we were so disjointed and shambolic at Stockport. No. I'd be surprised if we're, we're in a similar state this weekend against Bristol Rovers. And I don't blame Anthony Hayes for it at all. I actually feel sorry for him because that's another career that's, that's not yeah. benefiting from that situation, even though he's kind of he's got that platform. It's it's, it's a mess, and that that timing of it from Sangob was just as much as anything, as much as the sacking probably being the wrong decision, almost definitely being the wrong decision. <laughs> moronic timing. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, the sacking was because they'd fallen out. It's as simple as that, and it'd become untenable with the sounds of it. Right. Um, uh, the, the the relationship between both Sangards. Had, had broken down and you know Ghana was speaking out publicly about what he thought about the lack of investment and 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 Sangard so I think it was Sangard throwing his toys out of the pram more than anything which is it makes it even more idiotic it's really. not very mature is it no it's ridiculous I mean yeah, I don't, it's not I'm not a very saying mature that... thing to do no absolutely and if you're gonna do that have something lined up you know uh, it, it it just doesn't make any sense, um, and it also doesn't make any sense because he's trying uh, supposedly to cut costs, and it's uh, Christ knows no. the number of the prices, the the figure he's had to pay out Ghana, but it doesn't make any sense, does it? Financially, no. it'll be a you never find out any of these figures either. No, but it won't be small. Well, NDAs and contracts, aren't they? But yeah, yeah I mean, how much did did we have to pay Swindon to get Ghana out of his contract originally? And he's put on a mm. three-year deal, right? He's probably not getting paid a huge amount, but whatever. I don't think in these things you pay off the full length of the term. I'm sure he's not going to get three years salary, but he'll get something. Who knows? An equivalent of six months salary or whatever would have been put in the contract to do it at the start. But mind you, I mean, you remember when um, Sangard's uh, permanent contract offer to to Jacko was weird wasn't it it was all those sort of like you have to finish here and it'll be worth this percentage so there's a good chance when he got Garner on his thing the payoff is probably pretty limited yeah he's covered himself so he might him. not have to come up with like hundreds and hundreds of thousands who knows I don't know but but it's still you know he, he got this guy in to change the footballing culture of the club to to turn into a high press high energy possession based game and although it wasn't very successful partly because he didn't have the players to do it, he did change it to a possession game. And although we haven't necessarily enjoyed it all the time, um, you know, he had succeeded in doing that. And now that's kind of thrown out the window, unless he's just going to get another one, you know, uh, another one to keep, to keep up that style of football. Yeah, um, there's, still, there's talk of the NK Dons guy coming in. I mean, Oh, right, yeah. Because yeah, he's won four games out of 20 and uh, <laughs> one less than... One less than Ghana, so yeah, yeah. He's, he's had a great season. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't know. It's just been one of the names thrown out there, but he does yeah. play that 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 kind of football as well. Um, mm. I mean, something to remember with Ghana. I mean, I'm a bit defensive of Ghana, um, but mm. you know, in the, especially in the last couple of months, he's been pretty much playing without any fit strikers or, or strikers. Yeah. 
you know, he's been doing it with his hands tied with it. I mean, it's absolutely it's, and and for a lot of these games, I know this is a bugbear of yours, Will, but you know, we've been knocking it around nicely. We've been having possession. And if we did have two fit first team strikers up there, things might have been a lot different. I don't I don't know what you think of that. I think you're probably right, Gav. No, you're definitely right. Um, I think you are also, though, more likely to be ill-equipped on the squad front in League One. And I think bringing a new philosophy that's so, so rigidly kind of um, sort of set to a to a playing style is quite idealistic for a League One club. So I think you've got to chop and change. And I think you're going to be, I think having ball playing goalkeepers, fullbacks, two strikers who can lead a high press, midfielders are all comfortable. Having that right the way through the squad and building that sort of in a summer, um, I think is kind of unrealistic. And for that reason, you need to have that degree of flex. And I think, I know it didn't end brilliantly with Bowie, but I think Bowie was a great example of being able to play in a number of different ways. And I think most teams get promoted from this league do play a few different ways. And I think, yeah, I'm I'm a defender of Ghana. I like the bloke. I wasn't massively keen in his style, but he definitely deserved more time and he could have built something if he'd have had, you know, a year at least to do it properly. Um, but I think it's, it's always a risky strategy and I think it's a bit romantic and idealistic to think you can instill this style as a League One club and it just to go kind of swimmingly all season, you'll be able to just find these ball-playing players and high yeah. press. Kind of- and also, clubs, other teams find you out quite easily, don't they? You might play a couple of games and it works, and you think, "Well, we've cracked this. We're going up." And but then you know, other teams watch your videos and think, "Oh, well, all we need to do is this, this, and this." Watch the bloody videos. Yeah, but it did, it did have a feel of that quite early on, didn't it? Um, yeah. I know you're in a similar camp, aren't you, Steve? In terms of um, maybe going us going too big on on the philosophy again, without us wanting to rip Garner apart. So I think we're all very sympathetic for a situation. Yeah. Uh... Um, I just, I just remember Steve's very Steve choked up about it. Question is, is he going to be? <laughs> well, it's very, it's a very technical style of football, isn't it? Which you know is 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 fine, uh, but you need very good footballers to achieve that. You know, and when you are shopping in in League One and League Two and the National League, it's going to be very hard to find players who've got that great touch and be able to play one one touch football. And uh, you know. He, it's it's very ambitious, I think, you know. And but having said that, I think he probably did succeed in in changing the culture, the football culture of, of, of the playing squad. Um, and when we had our first eleven, maybe we were, we occasionally looked quite tasty. We had some some good results, um, but we we had such a thin squad that yeah, one striker and a centre half down, and uh, yeah. and anyone can beat us. Yeah, I think when you're assembling a squad to play that kind of football, you need to be, find a diamond in the rough, don't you? You really need to luck out in finding a you know a precocious talent from League Two, which did, you know, uh, doesn't happen been, that often. It doesn't. As I've been said, he did fairly well with that, like kind of O'Connell before his injury is quite comfortable on the ball. Egbo does it well again, injured. But then naturally, because you can't buy a, like two new sets of kind of starting 11s, you're going to end up still with kind of Ryan Innes, who... I don't think he's had a terrible season, but he gets caught maybe once or twice per game in terms of that playing. Yeah. yeah. Stockley issue all season, who's not kind of mobile enough for the high press, isn't that comfortable on the ball. And then with that, everything else he's previously good at seems to have fallen away as well. So, yeah, you've had those those kind of inevitable kind of um, players left over from the previous style, which has kind of jarred quite badly with what we're trying to do. And I personally think it's an inevitable thing in, in, in League One, and you've got to be a bit more accommodating of different styles but 
we are where we are and and that's uh, without a manager and yeah hoping that this kind of playing style I guess from Sangar's point of view will continue Will have you got a uh, another manager in mind have you no. got a wish list no I haven't mate and I think that's another reason why it was, is a bad um, sacking because yeah, you have to have one eye on these things don't you and I guess from a kind of operational point of view this the, the Liam Manning idea would make sense because of the playing style and he could continue that and that was Sangard's kind of um, spiel in the summer wasn't it that even if, if managers and players change the philosophies installed and that just continues seamlessly kind of regardless of, of personnel but no I know that there was an England under 20 coach who was linked I yeah. think they go more down that route won't they they're kind of modern um, kind of coaching style very, yeah, very much based on coaching rather than traditional management and um and looking at these kind of yeah building up the technical players and 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 possession based football but yeah I think we put ourselves in like a bit of a situation with that kind of with playing style and, and I'm not sure who they'll go for if it and also who who are we going to attract you know Sangar's yeah. got a reputation now who you know who you know there was you know previously people like Michael Bill and Mark Warburton and you know ridiculously Chris Wilder but you know people. Th- you know, of note are mentioned, but who in their right mind is going to take this on now? Nobody's going to want anything to do with it, are they? Yeah, Rick Everett was making a similar point at that um, cast Zoom meeting. But what I would say is many football clubs are run slightly poorly. Every single one of them are ruthless about sacking managers. And I think that was quite, a lot of the fans were saying that on Ghana's sacking, like, oh, who's going to take this job? Who's going to want to work for Sangard? And I think, fine, it might put off some of the higher end, more elite coaches they would already be put off anyway by the fact that Chandler 18th in League One and the salary would be poor and various other things that they would find slightly off-putting. So you, you, you've got this different secondary or even like tertiary pool of potential managers. And to look at them, I think, and to say who wouldn't want the job, I think is daft because, I mean, who, why wouldn't you want the job? Take the job, get sacked, get a payoff. <laughs> ben Garner doesn't leave right. here. Go, like, people still will want him. People will still take Ben Garner. It's not going to be like, oh, wait, he ain't getting a job now because he got sacked. He got sacked from Bristol Rovers winning like no games ever. We hired him. Swindon hired him. <laughs> people still want jobs. People still yeah, get true. hired. So who, do you, who are we going to get, Steve? Gareth Southgate. Martinez. Well, that was the thing at the start when, like, when we were hiring Ben Gardner. I think I was um, drawing up like a potential list. And you just you just kind of have this arrogance. I don't know. I said it there. And I was like coming up with these names. It was like, oh, Chris Wilder. I was like, oh, Philip Koku got uh, left the derby job. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine who supports Peter when he was like, mate, wake up. You're not getting any of these people. He was like, you'll get someone you've never heard of. And I was like, come on now, that's a little bit strong. And then it was like two days later, Tottenham announced the so the signing of Ben Garner. As mass- I, was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Possibly someone I've never heard of. But worrying thing for me is that whoever it is, they're coming into a club where there aren't many football people working there, you know, that, uh, you know on the board. You know, um, it just doesn't feel like... I mean, they are slightly different to ordinary humans, you know, in the same way people in the military relate to each other in a way they don't to to people outside of uh, of the military. People who are in the football industry, they're a bit different. And Thomas Sandgard isn't one of them, um, not, and neither is his missus or his son, you know. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're who, who, are, who are running it. You know, I, I'd really like to have a sort of, you know, a director of football who's able to to structure a club and, uh, and a scouting network and uh, and 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 bring back that kind of sense that that uh, 
you know, it's a home of, of football, not a home of chances and businessmen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I went to the the Back to the Valley Q&A uh, last month and Roger Alwyn was there. And it was a real stark reminder of what can be achieved when you've got, you know, Charlton people at the very top who are passionate and and then and it filters down, you know. There's there's and and the same with Peter Barney in in, in in his time at the club, and that's one of the things that gives me a shred of comfort and hope that he's somewhere in the background pulling strings and trying to get something done. I don't know what it is, uh, but yeah, to have someone like that and a, and a and a board and a like you say a a group of you know football executives that know what they're doing running the club. It's not that much to ask for, is it? No. You've not heard about Martin Sangard's hard shot. You've not heard about <laughs> so, Do you think that doesn't give us enough football credibility for these managers? <laughs> no, I've forgotten about that. You're right. Such a good shot. I like the way maybe managers come in and he just kind of starts blasting a ball around the kind of the office again. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen up. I smashed the meeting room window, look. <laughs> I'd love to see this shot. Martin Sangard's famous pole drivers. That's oh, so, any, so um, listeners who aren't familiar, uh, Mr. Vincent Raisin has um, just started writing for My Only Desire magazine. And in the last issue, Vince, you wrote about Paolo Di Canio, didn't you? Do you want to, any, anyone that hasn't um, read your article in Mod Mag 7, I believe, I think that was the last one. Um, yeah, do you, want, do you want to talk a, bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I was began by saying how excited I was when he signed. I'm more excited than probably uh, in, any other transfer, I think. Um, and he was amazing, and we had a great season of him. Um, but yeah, it was when he moved on to Lazio, and uh, we found out he, you know, he had a Mussolini tattoo on his, on his back, and uh, gave the Roman salute to the Lazio fans, and was a, a yeah fully signed up fascist. Um, which yeah, offended me and uh, really tarnished my memory of, uh, of of having such a great player uh, turn out of the valley. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a Charlton thing to do, isn't it? It's, it's the most exciting <laughs> player we've ever signed turns out to be, yeah, a, a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and and in this, uh, it's not. It's just gone to press um, issue eight, but um, Vince has mm. written a great piece. It's a really good read. Um, about why you hate Arsenal more than Millwall and more than Palace. Yeah, yeah, and it is unusual, I know, amongst uh, chart supporters. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was the way I was brought up. My my granddad was uh, a, a Woolwich Arsenal supporter and they uh, moved to North London when he was 13 and he no longer got to see him again. As far as he can, he's concerned, they, they were like the MK Dons, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd... Uh, They'd up sticks and and moved away. They'd stolen his football club, and uh, he, you know, he used to drive him nuts seeing Arsenal shirts around uh, around South London. Yeah, um, knowing that most people didn't know the history uh, of what happened at Plumstead when, you know, fans sorted out that ground and, uh, in the same way that they did the Valley uh, when uh, in the nineties when um, that needed a lot of work to reopen. Uh, people gave their their free time. And uh, after they did that at Plumstead for Woolwich Arsenal fans, twenty years later they they uh, they went to North London, and uh, he felt it was a a betrayal of South London. I think um, he's right. Mm, yeah, but um, 
I think so. I, I, I think I, I, I think I'm not entirely mad for my uh, my hating of them, but uh, I would say it's, it's not a popular opinion. Well, I know I, I, it's a great piece. Uh, do buy issue eight, which will be out hopefully before Christmas, and hopefully available um, at the Brighton game. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, but um, no, it's it's a really good read, and and Vince is a great writer. And you've got a football book out, Vince, haven't you? Called the Roaring Red Front. The world's top left-wing football clubs. Tell us a bit That's about that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So me and uh, a mate uh, travelled around uh, a lot of Europe. We went to uh, went to St. Pauli in in Hamburg and Red Star in Paris, Bohemians in Prague, um, and uh, my mate went to Boca Juniors and Palestino in Chile. And we did it. So we did a sort of first eleven of the top left-wing football clubs, um, and um, some controversial ones in there. Some people would say Boca shouldn't be there. Liverpool shouldn't be there. Uh, even even Dulwich Hamlet. Um, but um, they are, you know, and um, we've got a bench of some very interesting other clubs as well that could form a, uh, a volume two. Um, and so we, it's a sort of a travelogue into going to uh, matches around the world with with decent fans, um, you know, I really, you know, we were made so welcome. Uh, couldn't buy a drink anywhere, it seems, and um, uh, yeah, just had a great time um, with some people who weren't assholes. Which was <laughs> this is all you can ask for, isn't it? That sounds yeah. like a great trip, though, Vince. How long oh, were you away for? Well, they were all sort of. M- most of them were separate trips, apart okay. from uh, actually, we went to. Um, Went to Red Star Paris uh, on, on, I think, for a game on a Friday night, which was fantastic, and then jumped on the train to Liège to go to Standard Liège, um, who are quite lefty as well. And they just uh, they just let fans back in in Belgium that weekend, um, except for Standard Liège because <laughs> they had uh, <laughs> uh, they, they had got further banned for uh, having a ruck with uh, Charleroi, their their big rivals. Uh, so we were locked out of the ground. That was the only time we managed um, two two grounds in one trip. We couldn't get into one of them. And I suppose you had some well, common ground with the standard Liège fans, didn't you? With the uh, the Roland link. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but Belgian football is nuts. They, you know, they are a very passionate bunch. Surprisingly, you wouldn't think so from Roland, would you? No. But, um, <laughs> were there any things, uh, Vince, that you kind of? made you pine for in your Charlton experience in terms of what you experienced in those um, clubs and fan bases in Europe and beyond? Was it the kind of like the songs? Was it the the pre-match drinking culture? Was it just the vibe of the people? How does it compare to, to Charlton? Is there any, was there anything you'd, you'd see in a, a Charlton day out? I think, yeah, I think at, um, I think at uh, Bohemians Prague, that was just a really chilled crowd. Um, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't say the Valley experience is necessarily a, a, a chilled one. I mean, when we were in the Premier League, it certainly wasn't because three points mattered more than life itself, it seemed. Uh, there was all that pressure. Um, and, you know, it can turn quite toxic even in, you know, well, especially in League One if things aren't going well. Whereas at Bohemians, you know, it just, um, I mean, you can drink on the terraces for a start, Nice. Uh, w- which of course you can't, even though it's top flight football over there. Mind you, you can smoke joints on the terraces there as well. And, and, <laughs> and, and same in uh, at St. Pauli. I mean, officially you can't, but nobody minds that you do, that, and everybody does, it seems. Um, yeah, it was, so, yeah, it was similar. Really 
Yeah, I don't mind that actually. As I watched a lot of football in Argentina and the kind of uh, the sort of light smog of marijuana like drifting over the terrace <laughs> is a common thing. And it's sort of created, there's a nice vibe actually because it's, it's a different kind of energy to maybe the, the slightly uglier side of English football fandom, which is very much that kind of coked up vibe and cocaine you seem to have gone up loads kind of post-COVID and, and kind of the terrace and stuff. And it does create a slightly niggly energy. And I like a charged up atmosphere. I like it when we've had almost sometimes the protest movements and stuff to lift us out a bit of a slumber and get people rolled up. I like that. But I think there's something to be said for a slightly more chilled out energy sometimes in these uh, in these support bases. Yeah. I mean, we all love a derby match, don't we? Where it's re- where, you know, it really matters much more than, than, than seems sane. Um, but uh, yeah, you can't have that every, every week. And uh, yeah, it's nice to, uh, uh, to do without that kind of, uh, I mean, you mentioned the sort of coked up energy. I mean, we had somebody recently in the papers, a Charlton fan was the, the first to be banned for coke at, at Burton Albion. Uh, How has there only ever been one person arrested for taking cocaine at a football match? Presumably it's because... That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Sort of idea well, I suppose the, uh... unless you're in the cubicle, it's quite hard to prove, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> they overheard him snorting this. That's impressive. <laughs> oh, is he doing it through a Dyson? Okay, so you may have noticed that we've got no uh, Big Dave Lockwood this week, so no uh, Big Dave Lockwood's ball bag, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Mr. Stephen Charnock has devised a little uh, quiz for us, haven't you, Steve? I have, yes. Thank you. Uh, this is a quiz I'm going to... You can play at home, please do. Uh, I'm going to be doing <laughs> it for you three here. Um, and it's called Potential Charlton Manager or 1970s Stand-Up Comedian. So I'm going to give you three names each, and two of them are going to be football managers that Bet Victor are currently offering odds for taking the vacant Charlton manager's job. Okay. So two of them will be that, and the other one will be a 1970s comedy man, comedian, uh, who featured in the long-running Granada stand-up comedy TV series, The Comedians. Oh, I love it. You just need to identify the comedian to win the points. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Okay. Right, okay. So there are two medium difficulty ones that are worth two points right this is very important okay. and one easier one which is worth a single point you can pick which one right so you get it get a harder one right two points go for the easy one get one point but if you go obviously go for either and get don't get it right you get zero okay I'll complicated i know but uh mm. so who wants the uh easier one who wants the medium ones um i'll, I'll so have is it is it sorry is it is it the hard comedian questions is that is it, it, the the sorry I've, I've misunderstood I think you weren't listening to me then were you was yeah, it? I did I, I have to admit I did zone out a little bit <laughs> it was always it, I'm quite I've got quite a monotonous voice and uh, I'm not particularly clear when explaining concepts sure which makes me ideal for right, let's just go for it I'm going to go for the the, the okay. hard one you go for the hard one All right who wants the easy one okay I'll go for easy one yeah right okay. So we'll start with, uh, or I'll start with you, Gav. You can have one of the medium difficulty ones. So remember, remember the, what happens here. I'm going to say three names. Two of them are managers think of the job. One of them is a 1970s comedian from the TV show The Comedians. Okay. You, you identify the comedian. Okay. Right. I feel like this was a pitch for a, a pilot for a TV show. It wouldn't be getting off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> right. Three names. Anthony Barry. Ian Foster, George Roper. Which one of them 
is a 1970s stand-up comedian. Wasn't George Roper the, the, out of George and Mildred? Wasn't that the, the, the character's name out of George and Mildred? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go George Roper. As it is comedian. George Roper. Well done. I don't believe that he was from George and Mildred, but he okay. appeared in eight episodes of The Comedians. Okay. He was a deadpan scouser, apparently. He looked like Bill Hicks. <laughs> I imagine his jokes weren't very similar to Bill Hicks, but apparently he looked like Bill Hicks. So, yeah, uh, Anthony Barry, he was... He's 33 to 1. He's one of Roberto Martinez's Belgian coaches who's now looking for okay. a new job. And Ian Foster's that fellow Will mentioned earlier, who's England under 19 boss. Oh, yeah. He's 25 to 1. Well done. Two points. It's insightful and and good for fans of uh, the stand-up circuit in the 1970s. Which actually know I am. If this gets picked up, I've got Stephen Mulhern in to do my part. <laughs> I'll just be a producer in the background. <laughs> uh, right, Will. Medium difficulty, two points, three names. Mm-hmm. Dougie Brown, Nathan Rooney, Brian Barry Murphy. I felt like I had half a chance with Gaz. Um, I think I know this as well. Me. Dougie Brown, Nathan Rooney, Brian Barry Murphy. Dougie Brown sounds very <laughs> semi-racist, sort of rogue comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so or he could be recently that. sacked Inverness manager, or recently sacked racist Inverness manager. Um, I'm going. Yes, is that I'm going for Brown as the as the comedian. You've got it right. Yeah. He appeared in 24 episodes of the comedians, and here's an interesting fact for anybody interested in fact. Uh, he was the <laughs> King Rat in the Grand Order of Water Rats, which is the showbiz version of the Freemason. Oh, really? Also, I believe, I believe he he had a cameo in an episode of Money Falls and Horses as a copper. Did he really? I, I believe the episode to Hollenbeck. Well, blindly. But I don't know. I might be wrong there. This is good. This is good. This is great entertainment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nathan Rooney, sixty-one. Uh, Nathan Rooney's the current You're listening to ModPod, the podcast comedy. from the team behind ModBank. The surprisingly yeah. good <laughs> Charlton Athletic. Is he in the mix? Are we looking at... Yeah. We looking well, Pet Victor are offering 6 to 1. 6 to 1. 66 to 1. Might be worth a tenner. Brian Barry I've had a tenner on Dougie Brown. <laughs> uh, he died in August. Hey, Dougie oh, Brown did? So Dougie Brown, yeah, died in August. Well, so it's a bit more gently than that. Hopefully you got him each way. Got him each way? Does that rule him out? <laughs> Not necessarily, Vince, no. We'd have to speak to Victor Chandler. I'd take Victor Chandler as the next man. <laughs> right, okay, last one. Uh, Vince, this is your easy one. Yeah, so uh, two points for each other. Much here, but uh, three names Liam Richardson, Liam Manning, Bernard Manning. <laughs> Well, I happen to know for a fact that Bernard Manning is not a comedian. <laughs> He's also not a turkey baron for anyone who wasn't entirely sure what said his name properly. <laughs> Exquisite comic timing, though, Bernard Manning. Yeah, I've got Bernard Manning. That was good fun, Steve. Well done. Yeah, that was good, mate. It'll important. be better when Steve Mulhern comes in and takes over. The Are we talking spot. to Mulhern? Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. Endemol, and Endemol involved. Well, I, I said the, the, the DMs on Instagram. Thanks. 
They never realize. <laughs> hey, listen, chaps, it's been emotional. It's been great fun. Um, and thank you to everyone for downloading and tuning in. This has come to you, as always, uh, in association with the River Ale House on the Woolwich Road for all your craft beer needs. Um, I've been Gavin Villaness. See you next time. <laughs>